Hi, I'm Abigail Archery, and this is Unshakable Stories, Unshakable Truths, where we talk to people about their faith and how it guided them through the best and worst of times, their missions and ministries that were perpetually born out of crisis, and how God is using them today to make an unshakable difference. Today, we have a veteran on the podcast with us. Reverend Bob Kraft is celebrating 50 years in ministry. He's the founder and president of Reach A Village. Bob has a ministerial background of over 40 years, serving as a pastor, missionary, and evangelical missions leader. Bob has been involved in evangelism and discipleship ministry by helping local churches reach their own communities and beyond. He's served in ministry throughout Southeast Asia for the past 30 years. His work has captured the attention of Christian television and Christian press outlets such as Christianity Today. Bob founded Reach A Village in 2012 after seeing hundreds of thousands of villages in Southeast Asia remain untouched by mission efforts. Even though there were Bibles and resources available in many of their own local languages, these villages represented more than 2 billion people. Today, Reach a Village has seen exponential growth of over a thousand churches in what were predominantly Buddhist communities. Bob, it's such a privilege to have you with us today. I'm curious to know, was Southeast Asia your main geographical focus from the beginning? It was, in fact. The um, Vietnam War was going on and the only country that uh, was free to be traveled into by someone from America at the time, unless you were a soldier, of course, you were being sent to Vietnam, was Thailand. It was the only free place. So Southeast Asia was mm. a topic that I knew very little about. Oh, wow. Had the, had the risk of being sent to as a soldier, but had already come to Christ and was more interested in finding out more about the, the people of Southeast Asia. So, yes, it, it was part of my generation's war, if you will. Yeah. And and because of that, I took a, a deep interest in trying to understand the people and the history and the culture. Mm, mm. Walk us through, Bob, the initial steps you took to organize Reach a Village mission in, in Thailand and in Southeast Asia on the whole. <laughs> well, the Lord weeds the tapestry, and sometimes it takes many years. And so my wife and I first arrived in Thailand back in 1979. So really, honestly, the heart, the passion, the vision, the burden, you will, came to me even at that point in 1979. And uh, we, at that time, things were quite more primitive than they are today. Yeah. And uh, we moved immediately up country totally out of our comfort zone, totally out of our element, and began to, to experience the exotic cultures of Asia firsthand. And uh, we fell in love with the Asian people, and particularly with Thailand as a Southeast Asian country. Amazing. On all borders around it, there were troubles and wars going on. So it's quite, a, quite an experience to go in the midst of that. Reach a Village was founded in 2012 by Bob Kraft and his team, a group of experienced Christian leaders with a combined history in ministry, both in foreign and domestic missions. The vision was born out of a growing concern 
for neglected people in rural villages throughout the world who have not yet heard the good news of Christ. You guys did something remarkably different. Share with us the strategic role and the significant use of data mapping and what you use to begin to roll out the vision of touching local people in Thailand. Well, uh, it was overwhelming odds. When we first arrived in Thailand, the lostness uh, in 1979 was just vast. So you're talking about one-tenth of one percent believer in the whole country. My, my. You're talking about a, a few hundred villages in a place with a million people. You might only have six or eight congregations among hundreds and hundreds of villages, even at that time. It was even worse than it is today. But I realized right away that you needed to know where, geographically, where the villages were that needed to be reached, where the the areas of the province or the areas of the region that you were in that had never been reached by the gospel. That was my challenge. That's what the Lord had put on my heart, was to find those people who have no chance yet to even hear the name of Jesus. (laughs) So mapping, mapping is part of that, doing a lot of research, finding out how the country is divided up mm. uh, politically by its own mm. leaders, how it's governed. All those kind of things become quite important to taking seriously finding the pockets of darkness, as we would say, the, the lost areas where no one has ever been before. Turning the pages, as it were, and reflecting on those earlier days, What were some of the challenges to reaching and winning local people to Christ? I went thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get out there and immediately go to work for the gospel. Somebody's going to come to Christ. Oh, was I ever wrong. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I learned my lesson. (laughs) I I couldn't even, without uh, any language at all, we had we actually did our language learning on site after we arrived. It was amazing at how difficult the language was. So, so even to start a conversation, mm. we we got there and we found out the older missionary said, "Well, welcome to Thailand. Uh, your first four years is basically language study." And I'm thinking, four years? Yeah. What do you mean? You know, surely I can learn it. Yeah. In, uh, Rosetta Stone style, maybe I can do a crash course or something. <laughs> oh, did we find out? It's a tonal language and very precise sounds, or they don't even know what you're saying. And oh my goodness, it, we began to dig into language study, and I realized right away that this was a, a task for the very serious. If you're thinking about doing, conveying the message of Jesus personally, language is your first barrier. Mm. You must know the language. Yes. Yes, that is such a wisdom key right there, because um, just extrapolating from the years that I spent in China, I found that to build that camaraderie, as it were, language was key. That was the open door that let them know I meant business, first and foremost, as a foreigner. Yes, absolutely, is the first step. That is key. And then making yourself uh, vulnerable. I would say, uh, I'm sure mm-hmm. you felt that many times when you were learning language, 
you realize you just made the dumbest mistake, and they they're laughing, <laughs> and you think, "What did I say? Did I say something wrong?" And then you let them tell you back what you said wrong, and you're just humiliated. Mm. It's like a child, you know. You're you're an adult, but you're saying such childish things in their language, and they're so kind and generous, and so in a way, it's your ability to let yourself be humiliated and to be willing to be a learner before you become a teacher. You go in listening instead of going in talking. And I think that's a big, one of the big lessons I learned right away was to make myself uh, available to them and just to listen and learn. Just yes. absorb as much as I possibly could so that I could get close enough to them who actually speak to needs. You know, I'm sure you must have a, a plethora of um, testimonies over the years that yourself and your team has served in Thailand. But if you were to kind of, you know, pull out one that encouraged and moved you the most, what would that be? Oh, it's, it's the most amazing testimony that I've ever heard outside of the New Testament. Mm. Um, the young man I worked with in Cambodia, he basically came to the Lord through a vision in a Buddhist temple. And this this is where, you know, some of my friends just scratch their head and look at me and say, oh, this doesn't sound real. I mean, this is in the modern time? <laughs> yes, absolutely. A young man from the killing fields of Cambodia who made his way as a teenager into the city of Phnom Penh had nowhere to sleep, no friends, no relatives there. It had been devastated by war. And he just came to the city because they were reestablishing schools and they were beginning to reestablish society. So he came from the farm and came into Cambodia with a few pennies in his pocket. And the most amazing thing happened to him. He, he was able to stay in a Buddhist temple. They opened the temple up to let him have a little room on the second floor, and I've, I've seen it. I've been there. And uh, he told me his story, how that he became seriously ill <laughs> and was lying there dying and had, in his rambling through Phnom Penh, in a ransacked uh, library at a school, because he came to, to be educated mm -hmm. to, to go to school, he found a book that talked about this guy, Jesus. Okay. And he said, yeah. Jesus, Jesus, it almost sounds like our word for grandmother. Mm -hmm. You know, He said, I don't know if this God is male or female. And he goes to the temple, he gets terribly ill and almost dies. He said, my breath was leaving me, my, you know, I, I, I'm at the end. And he said, all of his smaller gods that he had lined up around him, laying there on the cot with these little idols all around him, he had prayed to them all and they had all failed him, and he was getting no better, and he felt like he was about to die. So he cried out, he said, if you really exist, Jesus, whoever you are, whatever you are, if you save me, if you, if you touch me and, and keep me alive, I will give my life to you. And uh, he said that he, he just passed out, and he thought he was gone. And suddenly appeared a light in the window, a bright light and a, a, the sound. It was interesting how he described the sound. He said it was like a, a, a roaring wind. You know, and I said, oh, wow, <laughs> this is good. And he said, that's really, he heard this 
kind of a roaring sound, and then the light appeared in the uh-huh. window and said, I am Jesus. Wow. My mind. One you have called on. And, and he he believed it. He said he fell on his face at that point. He said, well, I told you if, if you would heal me that I would I would live for you. Yeah. And and then the, the dream went away or the vision that he was having. He had to actually find a Christian. He actually had to find someone who could say, do you know anything about this Jesus? And this was in a devastated, bombed out place. And only the underground church would meet. The, the Christians, for the most part, were gone. And he came to Christ through this vision, sought out a Christian, found the Christian, and they they were very, of course, uh, skeptical of his story. They thought he might be a spy trying to, you know, find out whether it's secret meet, you know. Instead, the man believed, he said, hey, there's something here. This is real. I'm going to take him. And so he went, and that's where he was discipled. That's where he read the first scriptures that he'd ever heard, and he heard about Jesus. Uh, that's the most miraculous testimony that I've ever heard. I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't bring it to the Lord, but he came to the Lord. And then later, when I came into Cambodia in uh, 2001, by that time, he had already been pastoring and working and evangelizing. We linked up. Wonderful things happened. Just churches planted and him sharing his testimony and uh, he, trans- he translated uh, and created, wrote notes for the first Cambodian study Bible. So, I mean, a remarkable story, and his yeah. story is uh, the greatest one that I've heard of in my 50 years now of ministry. Absolutely the greatest testimony with the most impact. It's so precious, and I think the authenticity will shine through everything that he does for the Lord, because when he's sharing Jesus to his own brothers and sisters, you know, they can see that truly he has met with this God that he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the reality of the experience of knowing Jesus, that And, and and then he could describe so eloquently, every time I ever heard him speak, I could, I would watch him as the people, I watched the people's faces as he spoke. And it was beautiful to see them, eyes open, oh. light coming into their hearts and minds, because he had really met the Savior and was able to eloquently share it with them in such uh, detail, culturally, because he had come straight out of what the lifestyle that they had yes. been in, the religion they had been in, the culture they had been in, the trauma they had been through. So it was it was true to you, and uh, that really was kind of an awakening to me that this path I was on to stand with and behind those believers who have a passion and a burden in their own country to stand behind and support them any way I can was my yeah. role. And that that that's exactly what I why I founded Each Village in 2012 to focus on that aspect, supporting those people with that kind of vision and passion for their own people. We'll be right back after this. I hope you are being inspired today by what you're hearing to go out and to spread the gospel. Our verse for today is Mark chapter 1 verse 38. Jesus replied, 
Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And now, back to our interview. Now, you have a theory which is about encouraging local ministry partners to develop their own strategy and curriculum. How so? That is probably one of our unique qualities in terms of a ministry. It was something that I learned from the young man that I just described earlier in the testimony because Mm. he knew how to describe deep spiritual things that I could never touch. Uh, I didn't have the language or the cultural background to be able to, to go that quickly to the spiritual heart of things. So I realized that curriculum brought in from the West came with a lot of trappings, Western trappings, uh, theological history yeah. and hundreds of years of doctrine and dogma and all the rest. Yeah. And that he was telling the gospel in ways that, that were just so fair and, and necessary and right down to the essence of the gospel. He could just share his experience mm. with Jesus so much better than I ever could. And uh, I thought, you know, Lord, I I need to get behind. I need to find people like this in every of these Southeast Asian countries and get behind them. What do you need? Uh, write that book. Write that. Write that commentary. Write those. Uh, write materials in a way that the right Bible verses are being used, because you know what touches people oh. in your culture. They may not even be touched by one that I, I think is a great passage of scripture. I'll share it and, you know, I get blank stares. <laughs> he goes through a, he, he goes through a passage where <laughs> I would never preach from for salvation and all of a sudden I see the interest pop and I see the eyes open and the lights come on and I think, oh boy, you know, this, this is a whole level reaching their own people. And, and that's why we've seen the success that we've seen in Cambodia and Thailand, uh, because we, we allowed them to write their own curriculum, I and mean, we encouraged them to do so. Well, which Bible verses seem to be the ones that, when you're out there in the villages doing Bible study, which, which passages are the most intriguing? Which one seems to get the most questions out of them and, and bring them closer and closer to the So wise. Wow. And so he would share that mm. kind of thing with me, which is very, I mean, for me, actually get to that level of knowledge uh, would take years and years and years and yet it came so naturally. So that's why, that's one of the reasons that we have said, okay, just work with them. Don't try to impose something on them that's from a culture that's so different, radically different. Uh, Let them work their way. If they have God's word, let God speak to them about which part His word to use in their context. (laughs) <laughs> so it's beautiful. That is part of our principles of, uh, we believe, that making the, the gospel spread so quickly. Even after centuries of traditional foreign-led mission work, hundreds of thousands of these rural villages still do not have a single Bible or a single believer. These people still have no means of hearing the gospel in a way in which they can respond to the love of God and become part of his body, the church. Many of the unreached communities 
will be best reached by their own countrymen and women living in villages within travelling distance. It's so profound um, in terms of wisdom and, you know, the exponential growth that you have seen. Tell us a little bit about that as well. Well, about three years ago, the, one of the questions that people ask, well, how did, you, how did you first link up and how big was this group of churches you first linked up with? Well, they've been existing since the 1980s. And they, they head up to about 18 churches in this particular small network of churches. One of my colleagues who lives in Thailand, he saw what was happening in Cambodia. We were seeing, now we've seen over 4,000 churches planted. So, in Cambodia, among Buddhist villages. So, he said, this kind of thing is just not happening in Thailand. I said, God's not going to leave Thailand out. I said, they're too, the cultures are too similar, and and God yeah. has somebody. Just watch for them, look for them. And he heard about the pastor that had, was down having some evangelistic success, and he went down and uh, talked to him. My colleague speaks fluent Thai. He was born in Thailand, actually, uh, even though he's an American citizen, born in Thailand. And he began to describe back to me. We were using WhatsApp. Uh, he was describing back to me his face. This man, I said, it's him. God has led you to the man <laughs> that is going to make mm-hmm. a difference in Thailand. I, and he, the more he told me, I said, yes, he has the right spiritual DNA. Yes. And I said, now, the next <laughs> thing they're going to want to do is write their own curriculum. They're not going to like these books you're going to hand them from that's been in Thailand for years that were written by missionaries and outsiders. They're going to say, well, this is not exactly what we need. And sure enough, within within three, four weeks after that conversation, you were right. How did you know? <laughs> I said, because I've watched God work in Bosnia among, among similar uh, religion and culture. And I said, I, I, I knew that this would be a desire of their heart, that we just have been missing something in the way we describe Jesus or the, you know, the gospel message. And sure enough, uh, he described yeah. some soccer in Thailand, and, and I said he had the right DNA, and he did. And but lo and behold, they went through stacks of materials and developed their own curriculum, developed their own style of village evangelism, going from village to village. And uh, God has blessed greatly. And now they start out with 18 churches, and they're nearing 1,000. Praise God. So it's phenomenal. Yeah, truly. Now, I can only make the assumption that whenever God is in the midst of something, the enemy shows up to try to counteract what God is doing. Just give us, a, I guess, a snapshot of some of the typical opposition, as it were, that perhaps yourself or the team may have encountered. And what were the steps that you took to successfully maneuver past it because I'm hoping it would encourage somebody listening a pastor for instance that could be listening to you today and they're having a number of different oppositional issues where they're planting churches and it might encourage them to not give up too soon. One of the approaches that that we've taken is that we carefully look at the situation and and begin to remove hindrances. Most of our hindrances Mm. 
that we've seen in evangelism and discipleship is not because the people are hostile, but it's because they don't understand. And our approach is that. So we spend a lot of time talking about how you approach them. So you have to study them in order to know how to approach them in a way that they will listen. So one of the beautiful things yeah. is that these uh, Thai, Cambodian, Burmese, these people are so culturally sensitive, and once they begin to read the New Testament and realize that's exactly what Jesus did. When you think about the woman at the well, mm. the way he approached the woman at the well was by becoming bold, by asking her a question. Yeah. First, will you give me a drink of water? Oh, well, I guess you can water. So there's, there's all these wonderful scriptural hints that Jesus gave about approach. But before approach, <laughs> even before you approach, you must realize that we from the West would tend to put something like, well, spiritual opposition, spiritual warfare. Uh, we teach spiritual warfare to the very <laughs> mature Christians. It comes out of the book of Ephesians, so you know we want to teach it to the very mature Christians, teach them how to become spiritual warriors. You know what they said to us when we kind of started talking about, well, where do we put spiritual warfare in the training? They said, oh, of course, it goes in module one. It goes in section one. Nice. We don't start anything nice. here because yeah. we are fighting spiritual forces of darkness. Oh. Mm. You know, yeah. we don't want it in, in, in level five of your training. We need spiritual right. warfare level one. Well, guess what? What's the first thing Jesus did after he was baptized? He fought the spiritual battle first. He went to the yeah. world. Fast, pray. That's right. He, That's right. He discerned the movement of God right there around him. And, and, the, and he discerned the people and the temptation. So it's very interesting that approach and a having a sense, a deep sense of spiritual discernment, I think is the key. I, I would I wouldn't put it into a doctrinal or a you know kind of a cultural or uh, anthropological approach. That's not it really at all. Mm. It is a high level of spiritual discernment mixed with a vulnerability to listen and learn and discern. Those three things can help bring down the hint. If you go in, you know, it's simple. It's like this. Jesus said, when you go into a village, do not take a staff, no rod. Well, why would he tell them a thing like that? I mean, it's desert, it's rocky, and you have to have a stick to fight the dogs off. I mean, it makes no sense not to take a <laughs> stick. He said, I want you to approach the village with nothing in your hands. Mm. We are some of, sometimes we're the cause of our own hindrances. <laughs> our approach is wrong, you know? So true. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I think, uh, so we have had a opposition, but the opposition has been greatly reduced. I had this same question asked me in another interview, uh, on a TV interview. Uh, oh, yeah. what about the opposition? And that, I had to say the same thing. I said, you know, we, we haven't had a lot. And what we have had, we've kind of figured out why we got it. 
And uh, mm. so we do have people think very much about their approach to people and to make sure that we've removed all the hindrances we can. And then if you have a, uh, a hindrance or a hard spot or an opposition or a persecution come on you and you've examined yourself, then you realize you really are up against a spiritual darkness that needs to have people backing you up in prayer and fasting. And uh, it becomes more of a spiritual issue. If you're not the cause of the opposition, then the devil is truly there and he's opposing you. So we do have to be careful with our approach. We also have to be as wise as serpents and as harmless. As a love, yeah. Yes. That that opposition to a minimum, and when it does come, you, you realize it's a spiritual issue. You pray through it, you work through it. Um, sometimes stones are thrown at the Bible, the people having the first Bible studies in the villages. Some of the other villagers who don't understand mm-hmm. will still throw stones and cause problems. But those those are minimal. Those incidents are minimal if the approach is right. Now, here's one of the things about that we've also learned, is disciple the people in groups. The Western tendency, and the way that I was taught years ago was, oh, we we got a convert. Somebody got saved. Let's take them now over to a discipleship group, you know, to so-and-so's house. Well, their parents have no idea who so-and-so is. They don't know them. And you're taking my son away taking my daughter away and taking them to a strange house that I don't even know the people at, you know, it, it raises suspicion. So one of the things we've learned in village evangelism is that you disciple in larger groups. This one-on-one thing is very much a Western concept. Yes. In the Asian context, people do things in groups more. It's yes, more cons- yeah. consensus, a village. Absolutely. They do things together. Mm. So why not disciple them together? So what if only two people sitting there are believers and the other eight are just listening? So what? Let them listen to you disciple the two believers and all of a sudden then they have a question. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a less threatening approach. It's a less threatening style of Bible study. So we've minimized a lot of that with those kind of, they're not just techniques, they're they're just different expressions of things that Jesus taught and how he, you know, showed us the path. 100%, because as you were sharing that, you know, I had a quick little bit of just reminiscing to the days when I was in, in China, you know, <laughs> living and serving amongst the Chinese. And I, I absolutely, it's one of the things that I gravitated to the Asian culture was the fact that they did everything as a group in groups and I absolutely loved that because I think in the UK well UK or the western side of yeah everybody works in silos you know but over there I loved that concept that they ate around the table in in a group you know they did everything in a group and and I completely adhere to everything You've just shared there that there really is a, a, mind sh- a mindset shift we have to make if we're going to be effective in another culture. Yes. And, and you know what? Uh, the Lord just gave me this revelation. Ah. I have grandchildren, and so, you know, they're watching, and I have children yeah. of my own who are now grown. But the, when they were watching cartoons, I don't know what you call them in, 
England, they, they did uh, animation, like on, on, for children. We call it cartoons as well. Yeah, we call them, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, cartoons. So, when they were watching cartoons, the, the U.S. cartoons have individual heroes. Mm. Lone Ranger, G.I. Joe, you know. So true. It's always individual. But, but when the Japanese made and the Asian-made cartoons came in, guess what? Ninja Turtles, everything has an S on the end. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Power Rangers, Transformers, and that's because the Asian culture is so beautifully connected, mm. more connected than ours, not so individualistic. Absolutely. So that we did find that as a cultural key and a principle in working among people that we, should, we shouldn't we should be so individualistic. I mean, it, it becomes a hindrance at a certain point. We must, we must find a way to deal in more of a consensus and a broader circle of people being involved in Bible study and evangelism and discipleship. So that, that's just one of the insights. Mm, mm, mm. It, during our pre-interview chat, you alluded to the fact that you'll be celebrating 50 years in ministry this year. Just wanted to say and shout out to you. Congratulations. We really have a veteran on the podcast with us. Thank you for sharing your expertise and pearls of wisdom, sir. For the aspiring uh, missionaries out there, what are the attributes, skills that are needed to be effective in church planting? And how can an individual, how can somebody get a real sense and clarity around if this is their calling for ministry. We've done the research. You mentioned Thailand specifically. We've done the research, and the average, and if you're talking about a missionary, an expat of some sort going into a culture, from an outside culture, yeah, uh, you're already working in a bit of a difficulty to the rate and the, to an amazing rate, actually. The averages now in Thailand is a new church planting missionary who arrived may plant one small church in seven years. Uh, they average winning one person to Christ uh, in about 18 months. So it's, it's, it's right. such a slow and arduous process that, number one, you mm. must have land. So, you know, I would, I would encourage anyone who's really seriously thinking about it, give yourself time to learn the language. Do a lot of research. Now you have yeah. Google. I didn't have Google when I first went out. I, I had no idea. <laughs> but, you know, do a lot of research on the culture and on the, uh, the political climate and, and, and the things that history the history of the culture that they've gone through that brings them to this point when you're stepping into their culture. So you need to be, uh, your skill set needs to be very high on listening, discerning, language, aptitude. Your skills need to be very high. Now, can God do a miracle and speak through you? Yes, he can speak through a donkey if he wants to. But who wants to be a donkey? He doesn't. We don't make the donkeys don't make the best event. Mm. people who, who can speak, who are sensitive, yeah. and this is another thing, I think we're not sensitive enough 
to how we come across the approach. Yeah, again, sometimes uh, mm. those of us from the West are very individualistic and quite strong in our personality. A lot of missionaries are type A personalities, and so they're a little bit domineering and overbearing, yeah. and that can be perceived uh, negatively. And and people won't open up to you as quickly as they do. So you must, you really need to be culturally sensitive. You need to have a listening ear, an open heart, uh, a learning heart, and and just make yourself available to them. You have to actually earn the right to talk to them about deep spiritual things. You can't just come in and say, God has a plan for your life, and and start your, your sermon or your presentation. You know, it's not, they've been that way for centuries, and they've been living in darkness, in spiritual darkness, and you're going to come along with a five-minute presentation, a sales pitch, and change history? Mm. I don't think so. So it honestly is a very, very, it, it's far more complex than people give credit for in terms of the worker, the worker themselves. Jesus spent three years training his disciples before he sent them out. And he didn't just, and he, by the way, he didn't train them in the temple in Jerusalem in a seminary room. He trained them on the trail. He trained them in action. He put them in the midst of their own people. And then he took them through villages of Samaritan mm-hmm. villages, by the way. True. Who were not their own people. He, he pushed them. He stretched them. You know, how many times do you think that any of his disciples had eaten any Samaritan food or even eaten out of a Samaritan place? Uh, just... I'm shaking my head. No, right, right. Zero. Yeah. Before they came to the woman at the well, no, <laughs> never, never. So he he was pushing their comfort zones. He was he was speaking to them in ways that would deepen them personally, to open them them up to the people they mm. needed to reach. So there, there's your, there's my missionary advice. Go in, listen, and learn that language, learn that culture. Be sensitive, you know. Eat out of the Samaritans. Uh, drink out of the Samaritan dipper and eat out of the Samaritan place. You've got to be willing to do that. So there's a lot of skills for a church planting missionary. Now, you know, other we can serve in many ways depending on the skills God has given us to be a missionary. And if he's called you to a place, he will use your skills. But find out what the local people need. And if you happen to be going to a country that has second-generation Christians mm. and ha- already has educated Christian leadership, you should be asking them where they need for missionaries to serve. I'm telling you, this is something that does not happen. It should. Uh, all of my close national friends, some of them are on the Council of Churches in their, in their countries. They tell me these things. If only the missionaries would ask us, where we need their skills. But they don't. They come in with assumptions. And they come in thinking, here's what you need. (laughs) Oh, boy. Does any of us like for somebody to come in the door and tell us what they think we need? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's a very specific skill set. And I do think that missionary training, even in our institutions and in our mission organizations, missionary training needs to change to reflect more things about the principles that I've been talking about. And many of these principles are very biblical. They're just, you see them embedded in the way Jesus 
himself evangelized as a disciple. My, my, my. As the founder and president of Reach A Village, has God, when he first spoke to you about doing this and where you are today as a ministry, how has God exceeded your prayers? <laughs> I, I would never in my lifetime, because I went to Thailand, I would never in my lifetime have dreamed of seeing a thousand churches planted in three years. I would never have, it, it, was, it was beyond any of our conversations. We never talked like that in the missionary circles. It, was, it just seemed like totally impossible. And yet, God is at work and is doing it. So I think that, that would be my, my takeaway. Uh, I, I, could, I could not be happier. And guess what? It's not me doing it. Enabling them, empowering them, encouraging them to get out and do this. And, well, let's try this. Let's try that. And, and let them develop as God leads them the methods that are most successful, the materials that are the most successful. Let them develop it. Let them carry it. Let the national leadership carry it. If there's national in, in place already, work a lot with them. They will, God is speaking to them just as much. My goal and the goal of many of the who are now involved at the national level and here uh, at the headquarters and among the staff, we all have this vision that somehow the simple command that Jesus gave to his disciples, and this is the, uh, as you know, is the uh, Bible verse. Kind of, you go to our website, it's the first Bible verse you see. And that is in the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus was going out in his first round, in his first circuit, Jesus said to them in, in Mark 1.38, when the disciples came to him, he made a very profound statement. We must go to the other villages and preach to them also. That is why I Instead of just focusing on one place, go village to village, and of course that's how he led them. So that particular principle is the one that drives us. So we want to see mission organizations uh, move from thinking about unreached people groups. That's good. There are small pockets of unreached people all over the place, and in Thailand particularly. Uh, you can get in a plane and fly way up into the mountains. North Thailand, find a small group of a thousand people uh, who would be considered an unreached people group, but you just flew over 50,000 villages that have a Bible in their language, but still don't have the gospel because nobody's ever been to that village. So so we need to change the focus yeah. from just, just unreached people groups to unreached groups of people. Massive large groups and villages and provinces and sub-districts of people who don't have a single church yet, and yet there, there are, uh, the Bible in their language has been for a hundred years. So it's that kind of shift we'd like to see. That's our prayer that everyone would kind of capture this vision of helping the national church grow until every single village mm. reached. 
Oh, finish these sentences for me. I believe. I believe that I will see the entire country of Cambodia, every village, reached in my lifetime. There's about eight thousand six hundred left in Cambodia. I believe in my lifetime I can see a country where every village has been received. I am so encouraged by how hard God is at work. You know, my father is working, you two must work, I do must work. But how how God is, is reaching out. Hope gives me I have hope that he's raising up everybody, somebody in every nation of the world to be the champion of all these people who have not yet been reached. Because we're approaching the end and the Lord is at work and he's hard at work and trying to reach every single person who's never heard. Our greatest commission is? So I have hope that, that he's going to raise up those guys to see that everybody has an opportunity to hear the gospel. Whether I do it myself, whether I help somebody else do it, we should be concerned because everyone, the gospel reached to all people. And then the end. So, I mean, we're not finished with the Great Commission. So that is our Great Commission. Let's finish it. Bob, I absolutely blown away by this opportunity to learn, to sit and to, to learn. I feel like I've been in your lecture room. And I'm hoping that our audience feels the same way too. What final words uh, would you like to leave us with today? Well, I just want to encourage everybody that, in fact, God is at work. Even in these terrible times that we're all going through globally, the pandemic and the economy and the uncertainty and, and now the racial tension and all this that's been happening in recent days, God is deeply at work in, in his people. And he's deeply at work in the world. And that all these things will, in fact, work out for good for the kingdom. So we must look for that that glimmer of hope, even in this darkness, that God is at work in such a way that we can move forward and see his kingdom grow, his kingdom come, and his will be done on earth as it is. Beautiful. And how can our listeners connect with you and the ministry reach a village well we're just a small team so if you get on the website and contact us through the website at reachavillage.org you'll get one of the few of us who handle those those emails and we'll, we'll be in contact with you we also have a chat feature on reachavillage.org uh, and you may just get me because I'm, I'm on duty too to handle chat during certain periods of the day. Very easy to get in touch with us at Beautiful. And again, congratulations to you for 50 remarkable years in ministry, in missions, making a difference as a trailblazer for the Lord. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And I could not have done it without my wife of 49 years. Awesome. By my side under the mosquito net and in the <laughs> villages all these years too. So it's such a blessing. Thank you so much. And uh, 
I'm going to continue to pray for you too, dear sister, Thank for you. this ministry. May God bless you. Thank you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, that's it for today. But I hope that you will even go back and listen to this conversation again because Bob shared some real truth bombs and some tremendous pearls of wisdom that we can all glean and grow from in our respective callings and pursuit in ministry. I'll catch you again, same time, same place. Until then, God bless. Thank you for listening to Unshakable Stories, Unshakable Truths. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe and grace us with a rate and a review. If you would like to feature on the show or you wish to recommend someone, please drop us a line, unshakablestories2020 at gmail.com or reach out to us online. We will connect with you again next week, same time, same place. Until then, God bless.